that. So this week we are discussing the Rogers of Hammerstein classic, The Sound of Music. And The Sound of Music has what can only be described as the greatest character introduction of all time. <laughs> so we thought we'd talk about great character introductions. And who would like to go first? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> all right. Only because I'm pretty sure Zach might have stolen at least one of these, if not two of them. <laughs> uh, the first one is kind of a double way of doing it. I like this Tyler Durden's introduction in both the random flashes that mm-hmm. he has and then the actual character introduction on the airplane. Okay. Just the yeah. crazy shit that he's saying. And then I always use that whole question of etiquette as I pass. Do I give the ass or the crotch? <laughs> <laughs> I think of that every time. Um, number two, Willy Wonka. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I mean, Gene Wilder doing the whole. Because wasn't it like he didn't tell anybody he was going to do that tripping thing? Or at least he didn't tell. Yeah, scared the, the shit out of everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I always enjoyed that. Um, and then uh, the my personal better than sound of music introduction, uh, Hannibal Lecter. Oh, I mean, yeah. Very nice. Come Absolutely. on. Just that creepy look of him just standing there. Just, oh, yeah, God. Uh, I can't oh, talk about that movie. I, neither can I. <laughs> oh, fireworks going off. Here's my Hannibal right there. Nice. Thought it was, thought that was a, <laughs> I couldn't tell if it was a face mask or a beard. So I thought that was Riker there for a second. Oh, no. All Hannibal, all the time. Nice. Zach, what do you got? Okay, well, you only took one of mine, which... uh, (laughs) Take that, you son of a bitch. uh, (laughs) Willy Wonka. I mean, it's just iconic. Yeah. Uh, Wonderful. Um, All right, so I got Hans Landa from uh, uh, Inglourious Bastards, just that whole scene of him. Oh, God. And... Another movie I watched for the first time this year, thanks to the podcast. Um, not a Best Picture winner, but maybe should have been. Um, Harry Lime from th- The Third Man. Nah, you stole one of mine. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, it, he's on posters. His name is on there. So it's not like a secret that he's going to be in the movie. But still, just the way they. Yeah, it's a really great introduction. Yeah. Uh, and. um Colonel Kurtz from Apocalypse Now. Oh, you stole another one. Nice. Oh, damn it. <laughs> I'll let you talk about that. <laughs> and then um, my last one. Uh, sorry if I steal this one, too. Fine. Go for it. Three for four. Let's go. <laughs> That'd be Indiana Jones. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. That, that whole introductory scene. Yeah. It's iconic. Yep. Yeah. I mean, anybody sees a boulder, it's the first thing they think of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I like that you you don't you don't see him through a lot of that uh, like the first couple of minutes you see like the back of his head yeah. or like his mm-hmm. arm or this or that and then when then he steps into frame it's it's really good yeah, yeah. I I watched it um uh, when I was making a list I was like looking up some of the, trying to remember some of my favorites it's like you know like you said it's him walking through the forest and all these shot different shots of like his feet or his hands or and then um, the guy pulls out the gun he turns around and whips the gun away. And then you see his face. It's just, oh, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. What do you got left? Sorry, off? we're stealing. 
Well, you know, I was, I, was, I, I had this whole thing set up where I was, and, and Jonathan played into it too about how I, I love characters who you hear about mm-hmm. for a long, like for a long run of the movie. Yeah, the first act, even maybe the first and second act, if you hear about this character and they they're built and they're mythologized, and then. If you give them an entrance, it's always going a, a memorable entrance. It's always going to stick with you. Harry Lime stepping out of the shadows and in a third man, Colonel Kurtz, like living in the shadows, like laying down in that thing. Uh, just beautiful. And then, of course, Willy Wonka just mythologized, mythologized. And then you finally meet him. Uh, the only other one I had off the top of my head was John Wayne and Stagecoach. Because mm. he shows up and they give him that real cool, like, swinging uh, rifle cock and just pushing the camera as fast as they can on him. Oh, yeah. Such a good entrance on the film. Mm. Mm. So I, I like how, uh, you know, the way that you describe that about how you do, you know, the word you said mythologized, I think, is you spend the entire movie or as long as you can not showing that and how every good horror movie monster that's how you introduce them is at the end after you spend so much time not seeing them like the xenomorph and alien like right. you never see that fucking thing and then you finally do like that's how introductions are made so if you need to introduce a character just think of a horror movie oh let me say quint from jaws Ooh, okay sure mm. with the the nail scratch on the chalkboard yeah. and then you ever <laughs> seen a shock's eyes <laughs> it's so good good. (laughs) hell yeah there's tons of them that you know that we could continue to talk about um i just felt like i had to have another one since somebody stole (laughs) as a failure son of a bitch (laughs) let's talk about a movie let's talk about a movie Hello, all you damn beautiful people out there in podcast land. My name is Paul Workman. I'm Jonathan Pierce. And I'm Zach McCoy. And we are your Oscar Grouches. Welcome back to the Oscar Worsty Podcast, where we discuss Oscar winners throughout history and try to determine where the Academy went wrong, if they went wrong, and what film are we watching this week. Today, we're talking about The Sound of Music, a story of a failed nun who forces children to sing for her amusement. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hmm. That would go yeah. well in one of those uh, <laughs> bad recaps in a TV guide. <laughs> uh, I yeah. that scrolling TV guide channel. Why don't yeah. you? Oh, God. <laughs> I do not miss that. Because if you oh. miss it, like, do you know how hard that yeah. shit is with ADD? Because <laughs> oh, yeah. you miss it. And, and you're like, fuck, I gotta wait for it to loop around. And you're waiting for like channel 52 and you see like 47. You're like, here it is. And then your mom's like, oh, I need something. You're like, mom, hold on. I got to see what's on the TV. And then there goes 52. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Or if you're waiting for a higher number and you're like, okay, I have a minute to do something. And you look back and it skipped like 20 channels. Like, shit. <laughs> anyway. 
<laughs> then there's like the 200 music channels. And the X-rated ones, you're like, hmm, too bad I don't have that channel. <laughs> no, because those are the ones where your mom walks in and she's like, I'm sorry, what are you looking for? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, at least you didn't walk in while you were watching the scrambled porn. Oh, my. So is this everybody's first time watching Sound of Music? No. No. Would either of you like to regale us with your first time watching? You know, this is one of those movies I can't really remember uh, my first time I saw it. Uh, probably as a kid, I <laughs> I remember I signed off last week. Just a little fu to my dad. I remember him not wanting to watch it. I don't know if he had issue or something. So I just remember having seen it and him having a problem with it. I watched it again with Caitlin. We started dating and had a new appreciation for it. I uh, I spent years avoiding this movie as like a badge. Saying, hey, I haven't seen one movie that everybody just won't shut the fuck about and <laughs> sing at me anytime I say anything. Because there's just like 90 fucking quotable songs in this movie. Uh, and then I think I finally, I don't even remember when it was. I was like, fucking fine, I'll watch it. We'll talk about how I felt about it then and now. Um, I'm kind of with Zach. It's, it's one of those films that always seem to kind of be around. You know, the first time that I watched it from start to finish was over the course of a couple of drama classes in high school. One of our teachers put it on and um, I was in that class with a friend of the pod and esteemed guest, Emily Williams. Mm-hmm. And when, um, when Maria sits down at the dinner table on the pine cone and says it's rheumatism. I have never heard anybody laugh so hard at that part of the <laughs> film. <laughs> Emily Williams did. She's wonderful. Yeah. Let's do an Oscar breakdown. Break okay. It is a beautiful April 18th, 1966 evening. We are still at the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium in Santa Monica, California. And our host is yet again a one Bob Hope. Bob Hope. 15? I believe this is 15. Nice. This is also the first time the ceremony was broadcast on television in color. Oh. So welcome to 1966. Yeah. Uh, our most nominated films of the night are Dr. Zhivago and The Sound of Music, both at 10. And our most awarded films of the night are Dr. Zhivago and Sound of the Music. Sound of the Music. Good job. Both <laughs> at 5. The Sound of the Music (laughs) (laughs) wins Best Picture over Darling, Dr. Zhivago, Ship of Fools, and A Thousand Clowns. Robert Wise picks up his second Best Director Academy Award uh, for Sound of Music and uh, beats out William Wyler, who almost directed this film. Uh, Also beats out... uh, Hiroshi Keshigahara for Woman in the Dunes, who is the first Japanese director to be nominated for Best Director. I wanted to watch that movie this week. I almost asked you for a copy, but I didn't. I didn't. All right. You always ask me for a copy. Then at least you have it. Maybe I should trouble you for a copy so I can watch it later. Always trouble me for copies. <laughs> Thank you. Um, best Actor goes to Lee Marvin in Cat Blue. Uh, a rare comedy best actor win, uh, beating out Lawrence Olivier 
in blackface <laughs> for Othello. Nice. Oh, hell no. Uh, Julie Christie wins for the film Darling for Best Actress, beating out Julie Andrews for The Sound of Music, who, uh, of course, won last year, so it's not the worst loss. Julie Christie was quoted as saying that she's not too sad that Julie Andrews lost. <laughs> Best Supporting Actor goes to Martin Balsam for A Thousand Clowns. Uh, Best Supporting Actress goes to the great Shelley Winters for A Patch of Blue, beating out Peggy Wood as Mother Abbess in The Sound of the Music. Best Story and Screenplay written directly for the screen goes to Darling, somehow beating out The Umbrellas of Cherbourg. That's going to be a running theme here for the night. So uh, best screenplay based on material from another medium goes to Dr. Zhivago. Uh, Best foreign language film goes to the shop on Main Street. Somehow, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, not nominated. Uh, Best documentary feature goes to The Eleanor Roosevelt Story. Best documentary short subject goes to To Be Alive. (laughs) There's an exclamation. exclamation. For a short time, for a short subject, so short life. Uh, best short subject live action goes to the chicken. No exclamation point. Chicken boo. Best chicken boo. <laughs> You're not a man. You're chicken boo. Oh, and guess who's nominated for best short subject live action? Is it one Mr. Walt Disney? No, but Walt Dis- the Walt Disney Company now owns this person's company. Uh, hmm. It is a one Mr. Jim Henson. Oh. No. Nominated for Timepiece, the 1965 American experimental short film directed, written, produced, and starring Jim Henson. Hmm. Nice. I'm going to check that out. Yeah, Frank, you have seen it. Frank Oz, also in here. And Muppets Inc. is the production company. Sweet. I want to know what the skater dater is. Right. Black is the winner of the Palme d'Or for Best Short Film at 1966 Cannes Film Festival. Oh, Skater Dater was the world's first skateboard movie. Oh, that's exciting. Best Short Subject Cartoon brings us to our podcast within a podcast, Walt Disney Oscar Watch. <laughs> Walt Disney, not nominated. Nope. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, but Chuck Jones, the great Looney Tunes director, wins for his short film, uh, The Dot in the Line. I feel like I've seen that, but I can't put my finger on what that is. Uh, Cartoon. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was entered into the Cannes Film Festival in 1966 for the short film Palme d'Or, but I guess it lost because it says it was entered. It it doesn't say it won. Mm. Story details a straight line who is hopelessly in love with a dot. Okay. I think I've seen the book before. I think uh, it's just, it's, it's a bunch of really like interesting, like abstract art. Yeah. Cool. Kind of transitioning to different pieces. So Walt Disney, not nominated again. Uh, All right. Uh, best music score, substantially original goes to Dr. Zhivago beating out the umbrellas of Shapur. Best scoring of music adaptation or treatment goes to the sound of the music. Beating out Umbrellas of Shabork. Mad about. Uh, Apparently. (laughs) Best song, The Shadow of Your Smile, from The Sandpiper, 
speeding out. I will wait for you from the umbrellas of Shaborg. Uh Best sound effects goes to The Great Race. Best sound goes to The Sound of Music. Best art direction, black and white, goes to Ship of Fools. Uh, best art direction, color, goes to Dr. Zhivago, beating out Sound of Music. Umbrellas of Shaborg, somehow not nominated. Best cinematography, black and white, goes to Ship of Fools. Best cinematography color goes to Dr. Zhivago, beating out Sound of Music. Best costume design black and white goes to Darling. Best costume design color goes to Dr. Zhivago, beating out Sound of Music. Best film editing goes to Sound of Music. And best special visual effects is the way they have worded it this year. Goes to Thunderball. That's amazing. Which (laughs) also a song that wasn't nominated, the Tom Jones Thunderball theme. (laughs) Uh, And I guess the greatest story ever told was not the greatest story ever told because it doesn't pick up anything. Uh, We have an honorary award going to the host of the evening, Mr. Bob Hope. Uh, It is his fifth and final Academy Award that he will receive. The Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award goes to William Wyler. Very well-deserved. And the Gene Herschelt Humanitarian Award. Oh, mascot of the podcast. That pod people brought. I'm a Kabula. <laughs> all right, all right. I heard her. The Gene Herschelt Humanitarian Award goes to Edmund L. D. Petit, film industry executive. He was the vice president and general manager of Warner Brothers Burbank Studio. And he won this award. Just four months before his death, apparently. Oh. Well, you got that just in time, huh? Better late than ever. Right? So that is our Oscar breakdown. Indeed. So I don't know much about El- uh, Umbrellas of Shaborg. I'm actually reading about it right now. You should see Umbrellas of Shaborg. It's on HBO Max. Oh, it's great. All right. Well, let's talk about Sound of Music or the sound of the sound of the music. The sound of the music. Got it. The sound dot (sighs) the music. (laughs) So I get it. This is another one of those movies where I get it. I just don't like it. I don't know what's wrong with you. I'm I'm gonna hold I'm gonna hold my comments now. Okay. I the music's good. The acting's great. What bugs the shit out of me is the I don't want it's not the major conflict. It just almost seems like conflict that shows up that's just been kind of foreshadowed throughout the first two and a half hours of the movie that comes in on the last 15 to the point of where it's like I feel like I'd be more interested on the from that point on compared to everything before. Like it just kind of feels like two separated things. Like, hey, this is looming over the entire movie. Like it's it is looming. It it's you get these like subtle little things here and there where it's just like, hey, you know, uh, the Nazis are coming. It's gonna happen. We're gonna get taken over, and we're just gonna gonna fucking give it to them. And you get those little snide remarks and then, and then it just kind of at the end, it's like, oh, well, we're, 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 we're Nazis now. Not really, but you know, <laughs> um, and 
I, I don't know. It just kind of brought this like it wasn't unnecessary. It just felt like I got a movie that was about a woman who was helping a dude with her kids. Like it was basically Mary Poppins done better, but with Nazis coming. <laughs> so it just it just felt like two different like Maybe the sequel would like it was like the first movie is yeah him helping or her helping with the family and then becoming part of the family and then the sequel is the Nazis are fucking here and they're ready to fight like I would have been all fucking about that shit and it would have been like I, I would have loved the music to come out of that sequel movie um, but I only got you know twenty five minutes of the Nazis are here so it's I don't hate this movie as I like to make yeah. people think I hate this movie but I just don't understand that like it came in coming in at the end and it's just being such a small part of the film I even though it's an over it's overlapping yeah, the whole yeah. thing like it's big I it get just you. only comes to a head at the end yeah it's one of those things I can I can see where you're coming from because I've, I've seen the movie before obviously which I said so as I'm watching it and there's only 40 minutes left in the movie, I'm like, oh yeah, I forget that the Nazi part only takes up this small... Yeah. When I don't know that I necessarily want more of that for this movie specifically. Um, yeah, exactly. But at the same time, I I don't know. It, it's just such a tense little wrap-up to the whole movie. But it, but it's, it's, But it's not wrapped up for me. Like, it just, you don't get that. You get the you get that tense moment of like, all right, they're hiding in the Abbey for about three minutes. And then Ralph shows up. Who's obviously going to be a not like, that is just the most Aryan dude I've ever seen in my life. Ralph is a fucking cunt. Yes. <laughs> and so are the nuns, but we'll get there. Um, <laughs> but I just, that was the most tense part. And the thing is, I never felt tense throughout the movie you were supposed to have this like looming thing happening where it's like, Hey, this is probably going to happen at some point guys, just so you know, but you never felt tense about it yourself as the audience. So yeah. it, you, you're, I don't think you're ever supposed to except for that one moment. And then you're just like, all right, this is kind of cool. You're absolutely but that's supposed it. to but go on. Okay. No, fair enough. I think I, part of it might be just, the general badass that Christopher Plummer is that he's not intimidated by it. So it doesn't seem like as big a thing, but I, 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 I can get what you're saying. Maybe if they're dropped a little bit more fear with the kids or something like See, what's and going that's, on. That's the thing. And, 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 it, and it kind of, it brings up the whole, it's the Austrian thing anyway. Like that's the whole point of it all. I think is that there was no fighting about it. It was all a diplomatic takeover. So you're not supposed to be tense about it. That, and that was what the Nazis were trying to do at the time, too. It's like, hey, nothing's changed. It's just a different flag. That's it, guys. So I get that you're not supposed to be tense about it in the sense of the people in the movie. I just feel like if you're going to give me that kind of fear at a certain point, there needs to be something beforehand. There oh, there's so much beforehand. But it's just they're so, they're so <laughs> small and subtle and it's and that's, it just that's, it feels like it's different from what the movie's trying to give you because Roger Hammerstein is always happy to me in a way. Have you ever seen Carousel? 
Actually, no, I haven't. Oh my god, you have to see Carousel. <laughs> and I just I, I spend a lot of like at this point it's almost like a joke for me to tell my wife how much I hate this movie because she loves it so much and this is why I couldn't watch it with her because she wouldn't <laughs> let me listen to it. You know, you yeah, know yeah. why your wife loves this movie so much? Because it is a good movie. Because there's literally nothing wrong with it. <laughs> I just it, it it the it's just that that ending just bugs the crap out of me. I love that ending so much. I love every every moment with the family from the second you see the Nazi flags draped in that town square in Austria. Yeah. It is tense and heartbreaking and beautiful and a celebration of human spirit. And I love it so much. And from the moment you go to the Von Trapp house, we're getting dropped hints and details that this looming threat yeah. is coming. I mean, it starts with the opening text where it's like, hey, we're in Austria before everything fucking sucks. <laughs> and from from the outset of the film, they let you know the Nazis are coming. Yeah. And then Rolf goes to deliver the telegram. And as he's delivering the telegram, he, he's talking to the uh, housekeeper or whatever. And the two of them are like, hey, Nazi stuff. Yeah, Nazi stuff. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, oh, I don't trust this Rolf because he's a fucking cunt. <laughs> yeah. I hate Rolf so much. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think the progression is handled really well through his character specifically. And, you know, I mentioned, you know, a little fear or something in the kids. And, you know, the way he changes towards, give me, I forget the eldest daughter's name. Uh, Liesl. Liesl, yeah. The way he changes towards her, I think really... That does carry a, a pretty good significance. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're doing little 16 going on 17 and they're so sweet to each other and loving. Oh. And then, then he's all hail Hitler. Yeah. And then they see him in the square and he's given her the given her the telegram to her father. And mm-hmm. he's just like, yeah, we got stuff going on. She's like, who's this? We <laughs> <laughs> the fuck are you? Yeah. <laughs> See, the thing is, I never saw the progression from Ralph. I just kind of was like, from the get-go, like, oh, no, that dude's a Nazi. Like, he just... Oh, yeah. You look like a Nazi. You were casted to be a Nazi. <laughs> and you are not a good guy. He's it was a collaborating even, piece of shit, and I fucking yeah. hate him. <laughs> yeah. And really, there was one moment in the uh, the gazebo dance during that song where I'm just like, that dude is like uh, the circus guy. He's just kind of parading her around in a circle in this weird, like I'm controlling you kind of way. And I, it, it might be definitely me reading more into it than I should, I, but I, I was purposefully <laughs> like hating this movie at the beginning. Cause I was just like, I don't want to like this movie because it is good. It has great songs, except for God, I fucking hate the mentor singing songs that are of, of a different type in every goddamn movie. The when Mother Superior or whatever her name is sings her song, it's just I'm so. I'm every mountain. It's just it does not fit at all. But, I hate those songs. But it telegraphs how the movie's going to end. They have to climb every mountain to get away from the Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is my least favorite song in the movie, probably, but it's still all right. 
my least my least favorite song is the one that actually got added to the movie, which is that uh something good, ironically titled. Aw, Caitlin says that song think makes her think of me. Oh, oh she has <laughs> terrible taste in song. <laughs> so now that we're on the topic of the nuns, let's go okay. about and then so I tried to live tweet this movie, but I was doing the homework at the same time and I just wasn't able to. But seriously, this movie does start off with nuns being cunts. Like that is 100% how this movie begins. It's like, Hey, by the way, guys, Maria doesn't belong here because she's a shit nun. All right, cool. And then my theory head cannon, by the way, they sing and teach that fucking song to the people at the wedding. What a fucking <laughs> song to come down the aisle. To. Yeah, I was just thinking that. <laughs> like, Hey everybody, let's sing about the bride being a piece of shit. <laughs> like, all right. That is a fair, very fair point. I I love that song though. <laughs> it's a good song. It's, it's so just good. <laughs> like who the fuck lets people sing that as you're walking down the aisle? <laughs> Another thing I had pointed out, and I I can't believe I didn't catch this, but uh the the confidence song literally is like or well, I believe from the Book of Mormon literally is that song. Like there were points where it's like I, I was like, wait, why don't why does that sound familiar when it's like warlord who could shoot you in the face? What's so wrong about that? Like what the fuck that they should just basically said that just with different words and the exact same like rhythm and everything. I mean, Stone and Parker are not are not very uh secretive about how much they steal from other musicals when they write musicals. <laughs> Fair. Because <laughs> the whole like medley from uh from south park bigger longer and uncut is essentially just stolen straight from les mis yeah <laughs> so yeah i, I just th those are things that i was like how much of this have i heard outside of um this movie so because that's the thing this is as i had mentioned earlier one of the reasons why i tried not to watch this movie for the longest time everybody knows these songs like, I think when it comes to Rodgers and Hammerstein songs, this is the one that everybody fucking sings when you just mention a word that comes from one of these songs. Yeah. Like, it's a couple days before your 17th birthday. Guess what's getting sung to you, people? That's right. Like, <laughs> and I get it. That's why, you know, I've talked about my thing with Holy Grail. And you know, if you get overexposed to something before you see it, and it's not as special once you do see it. So, Yeah. Like and I, I hate to be the guy that hates popular things sometimes, but it, it was just like it was too much of it getting thrown at me. Everybody's saying how good it is. And it, it like <laughs> the cinematography of this movie yeah. is so fucking amazing. It is gorgeous. Like, god damn, it's beautiful. Like the the scenes when she starts playing with the kids and their uh drape made lederhosens. Mm -hmm. Like <laughs> Some of those shots were just, oh my god, beautiful. And as you said, Maria's character introduction. Like, how many times did they have to fly that helicopter past her to get well, that perfect shot? Perfect. Like, yeah. <laughs> it it is such a good character introduction, and it it immediately tells you everything you need to know about her. And just the zoom in to get in there, I can't even imagine the technical feats that they had to pull off to accomplish that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I will say another thing that bugged me. You start the song, the movie off with that song. 
don't give me the instrumental version and play the fucking title then. Like you just did it. Just put the fucking title in while she's singing. It's okay. There was a break in there. You could have done it. You didn't need to do it again. I know this is a freaking three hour long movie and I know that's a thing for me, but I just little, little bits and cut down just, just enough for me. There's nothing I would cut from this movie. <laughs> Not a single second. Mm. That's the thing. There's nothing I think other than that, that I would, because the thing is when they're, when they give you the, the, the title instrumental, is they're giving you more setting. Like, they're, mm-hmm. they're showing you more of this Austrian town. So it's like, cool. It looks beautiful. Thanks, guys. I saw that when she was singing, too. So just go ahead and just <laughs> cut the little bit. It's okay. Yeah. When, yeah, but when, when it's something like that that you have to pick out to cut from a movie, I think it just speaks to the quality of it. Yeah, overall. I mean, if yeah, but if yeah, I'm being, I, I, being I picky. So, yeah, you're right. So it's, it's there, but I mean... It is. It's well made. I just that man, that ending man, just bugs the it's crap so out of me. Oh, good. I and it's supposed <laughs> to be good, but it bugs the shit. It's like, why do you put the climax like that close to the end? Like, because because Act One is set up. Act Two is the growing relationship, which is the most important part of this movie. Is the exactly. growing relationship, and then Act Three is them coming together and having to escape peril. And it, I, there's so, nothing about it that doesn't work for me because I'm so invested in their relationship and them getting torn apart that everything that happens there is just tension. So yeah, but but that but that's the problem for me is because you're given like this. All right, you know, we spend our lives. Even I remember like early English classes where they talk about you know how a story is written with your rise in action, your climax, your falling out, your resolution, falling action, right? And you're given that climax when she leaves, when she's convinced, hey, you got to go. He loves you. Not cool. All right, cool. You're not the bad guy, lady, but you're kind of the villain of this story right now. And she leaves. You're like, all right, there's our conflict. There's our climax. Cool. Now we can get into our resolution. We get it. And we got our resolution together. They're married. Oh, look, Nazis. Yeah. Like the fuck? Like you went up a hill. You hit that hill. You come down. You're like, ah, oh, it feels good. And then, like, somehow there was an <laughs> elevator halfway up the hill when you're coming down that just immediately shot you back up. And you're like, oh, and you're going to drop from here, by the way, too. Like, Mac was going to say something. I, I want to hear Go ahead, that. <laughs> I was going to say, sometimes when you're really going at it for a long time, you know, you can have one climax and then you, you keep rubbing on something a little more and you feel, like, okay, there might be another one there. And then after the second climax, then you're just tired and you, and you want to rest. So you My wedding stuff. is I, not a refactory period. Okay. I regret cutting back to that. <laughs> <laughs> I had to throw that in because, as I mentioned on a Facebook post, my six-year-old, uh, <laughs> we were watching the, the gazebo scene with the captain and Maria where they confess their love and they have a nice sensual kiss there. And he turns to me and says, Daddy, why do some people have babies after they get married? And I was like, okay. Uh, you know, they um, sometimes when they fall in love, they decide they want to have children. Yeah, yeah, but how? Where's the baby come from? So, told him we'll explain a little later. But so, thanks, Sound of Music. They kick the can right down the road. <laughs> um, no, but I I love that 
Nazis are the thing that's going to complicate their relationship the hardest. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not overlook Mm -hmm. this. It's going to tear the family apart. And they're going to force him to fight for something he absolutely does not believe in. So they're going to try to keep the family together. And I have to say, the so long farewell escape scene made me cry so fucking hard it's good every every time two of the children like split off and at least one of them looked back with this look of am i going to see you again yeah just murdered me in the feelings and had me crying as hard as i did uh during uh mrs miniver when they're in the bomb shelter Uh, dead i was so dead at that moment yeah I say we do get one of the greatest gifts of all time with uh, the captain tearing up the Nazi flag. That's been very useful the last few years. Oh, yeah. And, of course, Julie Andrews is beautiful. Christopher Plummer is a handsome devil. Handsome. And, they, and they've just got such good chemistry. I didn't yeah. read about anything behind the scenes. if they Hilariously, because <laughs> they, they did not get along in this. And Christopher Plummer hates this movie so much, he, calls it, he called it The Sound of Mucus. Yeah, nice. I thought I'd heard about that. <laughs> Or S and M, nice. Um, so here's a question for you, because apparently this is a uh, a moniker that I apparently have difficulties with understanding. But it feels to me that Maria is the definition of manic pixie girl. No, <laughs> you don't think so? No, like, not even. Am close. I just I, not even understanding because, that character? Because yeah, you're not understanding that character at all. Uh, a manic pixie dream girl has no no underlying thoughts or wishes she's just there to satisfy what uh the desires of the male character or something correct that is not that is not mm, okay, comes no, okay. In not as cha- the male changes so okay yeah she, she she has she has a central conflict and her central conflict is whether or not she belongs to the abbey that is her storyline that has sure. nothing to do with the captain. That has nothing to do with the family. And she, she changes the captain for the better, but not because, not because he's not the main character. It, she doesn't exist solely to uh, make his life better. Sure. And she, you know, she doesn't choose to go there. She doesn't have some kind of meet cute with him or anything like that. She has her own thoughts. She has her own actions and storyline. And I mean, essentially on top of it, it's kind of how things went because reading more into the story of this, it's absolutely not how things went at all. Sure. <laughs> she, she's such a, I mean, back to back years, I think we've got strong women characters and that's nice to see. I mean, even though a little less whiny on this one. Like a lot of less whiny on this one, which would made me happy. Which, but again, I liked My Fair Lady more. Um, but I, I just, like I said, there, there's, it's that ending that bugs me personally. But I see nothing wrong with this movie. It's just that he, it just felt out of place. It, even though it wasn't, because as we've all agreed to, it, it is a looming threat. See, and, and the reason I wanted my picks at the beginning of the show to be about mythologizing is because that's how the Nazis are in this film. Yeah. 
they are mythologized and hinted at and talked about. Uh, and the the deeper we go into the movie before they show up, the more com like real solid conversations we have about them until finally, bam, they're there. Everything sucks now. Yeah. I just and it, and it could also be you know you you see in a lot of movies that have any sort of Nazi representation in it more conflict, and there yeah. was no conflict because there wasn't a conflict. So I, I just it could be I want to see Nazis get punched and I'm not getting Nazi punches. So it could just be that it could be something just as simple as that but it is also just that you're so used to as i said that formula and having the formula kind of flipped upside down at the end just kind of it it, it could be genius and it's just bugging me because of how out of the box it is i i like that they're with help especially especially since this is a broadway musical and people don't necessarily go to Broadway musicals to be bummed out and reminded about Nazis. So, especially around this time. So, it's, it's nice that we have a central love story and a lot of character building so that when the Nazis are finally introduced, you care. Sure, but the thing is, it ends on a... It, I mean, it, it ends on a down note. I mean, it, sure, they made it out but it is 100% a down note they have been pulled from their home running away from their home because of this and it's but Jonathan just, all they need is love oh god <laughs> their their home that then becomes occupied apparently by Heinrich Himmler Ugh. a note I found wow <laughs> um, mm. but yes it it ends with them fleeing but it ends with the family still intact and uh, you know that they're going to stay together and you know that they, so, they make it to another country alive. The only Paul, reason you know that is because it's bright. It's green. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, Paul mentioned differences from real life. But, um, I was just reading the note here that in real life, they left Austria openly by train. So yeah, that would be a lame ending. <laughs> yeah. Escaping and running into switzerland is a better ending for well, me which is okay another thing here <laughs> let's talk about like all right i guess we're just gonna have to climb the mountains to go to switzerland y'all look pretty good for people that just got finished fucking climbing mountains <laughs> like kids were smiling everyone's got clean clothes and the fields are fucking green like well nah, they were dude. singing like <laughs> they were singing it was a crisp night so i i, I <laughs> they really wanted it to feel like it was a good like happy ending but it just wasn't. Yes, they're a family. They're together. Everybody's smiling because their home is being occupied by Nazis. They they are kicked out. But they but have each other, and that's what's important. <sighs> it's the friends you made along the way, Jonathan. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like Dominic Toretto would say, family. <laughs> nice. Well done. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, yeah. <laughs> anybody got any more notes on this movie? I only only weird ones that like if if they actually would have escaped into the uh, the Austrian Alps, they would have run into Hitler's like mountain house. <laughs> sure, <laughs> but uh, yeah, 
nothing, nothing really about the film. I, the, I think this film is incredible. One thing that kind of confuses me about it is, you know, the captain is so against the Nazis, yet he sings this song all about Adolf's eyes. I don't get it. I've never. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Fuck out, Zach. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, that was way better than the other thing. <laughs> oh, God. No. Um, few of my favorite things. I mean, it's one of those ones that's overplayed. On roses God damn it. Like, on kittens. <laughs> it gets overplayed at Christmas time, but I still love it. Uh, the John Coltrane version is one of my absolute oh, favorite God, versions yeah. of that song. The Ella Fitzgerald version is great too. Yeah, and they're they're all good songs. Hmm. Me first, the Gimme Gimmies. Hmm. There's a dog right here. Hey, dog. Dog love me. <laughs> I have no more testicles. All right. Well, Paul, uh, Library of Congress time. Library of Congress. All right. This is in the National Film Registry. Would you like to guess? What here? Man, we've been getting like these movies have been screwed for the last few weeks. Um, but I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna keep doing what I've been doing. Uh, uh, ninety one. I'm going ninety three. Two thousand and one. Not as bad as some, but still, you'd think. <laughs> Jesus as fucking Christ! Iconic it is. It would have got in sooner. Really have to see what other musicals and especially any other Rodgers and Hammerstein got in before this. Yeah. Which is real shame. Uh so I think it was Oscar Hammerstein died in nineteen sixty, so he didn't even get to live to see his one film win Best Picture. Yeah. yeah. The only Oscar to win an Oscar. What other movies made it in the from this year if you got any? Are you ready for this entirely long list of films? I'm guessing it's not actually long, or is it? Um, okay, so there's Sound of Music, and there's Felicia, a short subject film. That's it. Wow. 1965. But <laughs> I I was going through a list of 1965 movies. I mean, if you look at the top ten grossing movies that year, which by the way, Sound of Music just dominates. Dominates. It it becomes the highest grossing film of all time. At $72 million. $72 million. <laughs> Number two was $43 million. Jeez. So it, uh. it made some money. Uh, but, I mean, looking at the top ten movies, you know, you got Sound of Music, Dr. Zhivago, Thunderball, uh, The Magnificent Men and Their Flying Machines. Like, these are, you know, people have heard some of some of these movies. Like, That Darn Cat was at number six that year. <laughs> nice. Uh, and uh, what's new, Pussycat? But yeah, a lot of these are iconic movies. Yeah, it's Doctor Zhivago. I guess it's is a British film. Yeah, it's David Lean, yeah. so I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Uh, and then what, Shenandoah, which I'm shocked isn't in. Yeah. But uh, yeah, other than that, I mean, this year I don't think was a a year of. It's not as big as I, some of those. Yeah. So. But, I mean, you're going to get those years. Uh, but, yeah. I mean, Godzilla versus... Uh, oh, which one was it? It was uh, Godzilla versus Monster Zero was 1966. And then Japan also had Frankenstein Conquers the World in 66. Or 65, rather. So, yeah. I mean, it's just uh, yeah, not a lot that year. Yeah, the Godzilla one wouldn't get in because it's Japanese. Japanese, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, I mean, makes sense. So, uh, shall we get into our Oscar worsties? Well, worstie judgment time. Zach, does this movie deserve best picture? Does it deserve best picture? You know, um, I didn't watch all five of the best picture nominees this year because three of them didn't really interest me that much. The other one I did watch was Dr. Zhivago, which was my first time seeing that. And I, hmm, I was super impressed by it. It, to me is about as good as Lawrence of Arabia. And, um, I, if anything were to beat it, that would be the movie. But the question is, does it deserve it? I'm going to say yes, The Sound of Music deserved to win Best Picture. All right. Um, and I'm, again, as the filthy casual, have not seen really much from that year. Yeah, it deserves Best Picture. I mean, even if you go by just cinematography alone, because I do feel like the Academy does take like innovation into a lot of consideration, and I feel like the way this movie is filmed... I'm sorry, Paul, to say this, but this is an epic musical. It is absolutely an epic. Like it's, and you don't get that with musicals like this, like at all. Like it's a lot of the time, especially, you know, theater adaptations, you get a 3d stage. Yeah. And that is not what this movie is at all. At all. It is like you, those mountains are fucking gorgeous. So, yeah, this movie does deserve Best Picture, despite the issues I have with it and my feelings towards it. Yeah, absolutely. Paul? Uh, I didn't watch any of the other nominees this week because depression sucks. Um, I just was not in a movie mood all week. And then I was like, I really need to actually watch Sound of Music so I can talk about it. And I'm glad I did because, God damn it, I love this, I love this movie so much. I love this musical. I'm glad you didn't watch Dr. Zhivago this week then, because it's it's a downer. I, I know it is, and I, ha- I haven't seen it, but I know practically not beat for beat, but pretty much the whole movie. Um, and I really want to watch it because I love David Lean, but yeah. um, if anything that I have seen from this year, especially in this nominee pool, uh, I'm sure I'm going to shock everybody by having listened to the rest of the episode. If anything deserves to have a run at Sound of Music, it's Umbrellas of Shaborg, and that <laughs> film is amazing. Um, uh, I watched that very recently because a podcast I was I was listening to uh, covered it, and I was like, "Oh, that sounds incredible." So anyway, um, Sound of Music I I think is practically perfect in every way, and I. <laughs> Love it, and it deserves best picture. All right. So, Zach, is this the worst best picture? Is it the worst best picture? No, sir, Bob. I'm looking at my ranking right now. I think, mm, you know, again, I, I sometimes undersell how much I really love a movie until we get to this point because I, I want to <laughs> keep a little suspense. But the sound of music may very well be my favorite musical. I think the songs from My Fair Lady are a little better, but the movie overall, Sound of Music, I like better. The better made, cohesive piece, I think. Um, 
it might be, it's certainly in my top 10, maybe even top five. I'm flirting with number five right now. I've got Ben Hur in my number five. It might bump that out of there, but it's way up there for me. All right. Yeah, this is definitely not the worst. Uh, this is one of those like movies where I definitely have to actually sit down and stare at the list and pull away from my personal feelings towards issues that I have because, again, I recognize how good this movie is. And I feel like recognizing it makes it a better movie than in my mind thinks it is. Yeah. So it needs to be at least given a couple of spots in there. I'm not putting it in my top 10, but most likely it's in that top 15 at least area. So once again, I just need to watch uh, that one fucking movie that I keep forgetting. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody can call you anything but fair for that assessment. Paul. I wholly came into these two weeks, specifically, 64 and 65, knowing that My Fair Lady is my, my top three musicals of all time. It's a musical I love. I hold it very dear. Pygmalion's a story that I just cherish beyond all measure because it's just ridiculous and it's fun. And I don't have My Fair Lady in my top ten anymore. Hmm. I I knew for certain that My Fair Lady was going to be one of my like top five through the end of this, and I'm so wrong. I still love My Fair Lady more than Sound of Music. Like if someone was like, "Hey, do you want to watch one or the other?" It's lighter, it's more fun, and it's easier to watch. Sound of Music hits me in a way that I. Always knew it kind of hit me in, but I wasn't ready for when on this watch. And I'm glad I watched it again because it 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 hits different. Hmm. I don't know if it was the last four years. I don't know if it's being a father now. I this film just gut punched me in a way that I didn't realize it was going to do on this watch. And it's my new number three. Oh my goodness. Wow. It, Dang. Yeah, I know I love this musical and I've always loved this musical. And There's never been anything that I could point out that I didn't like about it, except one song just doesn't hit me right. But it's a still a good song. And uh, I'm glad it I made that joke earlier, but I'm glad that mm-hmm. you, Caitlin has a, a deeper appreciation for it. But it's still good and it still advances the plot. And it still advances the characters and it's an incredible piece of work. It is one of the most beautiful films ever shot. I love yeah. it. it. It's sitting right on top of On the Waterfront and right under Bridge on the River Kwai. And I got both of those titles <laughs> right this time. <laughs> nice. And four out of five of my top five films are all World War II movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's the bulk of what we'd, we've had, really. I mean, that of the really really good stuff yeah 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 i um there were so many times this watch that i had wet eyes also and it was my first time watching it in high definition too which um that disney plus version is so crisp it is i i own i own the blu-ray because a friend of mine my friend of mine borrowed 
my DVD copy and lost it. <laughs> so he emailed he emailed me. He mailed me a Blu-ray copy of it to to make up for it. So I've watched it in high def at least once. Yeah. Very nice. All right. Well, we're going to call it there. My name is Jonathan Pierce. You can follow me on Twitter, on TikTok, and on Twitch at Altorn underscore Occam. Zach, where can we find you? Follow me on Critiker, Zachmaster, X-A-K-K-M-A-S-T-E-R, where I post my little movie reviews. Or on TikTok at House Havoc. And you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Letterboxd, where I keep a running tally of all the movies I watch and my rankings of each of these best pictures at Father of the Fear across the board. I want to give one note before I ask you the next question, Zach. Uh, I forgot to mention that Marnie Nixon, who oh, yeah, Marnie Nixon, who overdubbed uh, who Audrey overdubbed Hepburn, Audrey Hepburn and uh, Natalie Wood in West Side Story, uh, was in this film as one of the shitty nuns in How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria. But she was the least shitty one, wasn't she? She's like, I think Maria's so, yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, she's good. She's just flighty. <laughs> she's the flibberty gibbet. Um, Marnie Nixon's the bomb. Marnie Nixon is the bomb, and I was happy to see her physically in the movie for once. Yeah. Uh, three best picture winners in five, four or five years. And uh, this is the first one we get to see her on screen. Uh, so just wanted to bring that note up. I, I yep. almost forgot it. Uh, so. Back. What are we watching next week? Next week we are watching A Man for All Seasons, which can rent on Amazon, Google, Vudu, and YouTube. And it's only two hours long. All right. <laughs> I actually looked it up today. Uh, we've already watched the uh, the shortest runtime movie in Marty. Yeah, I, I knew that was going to be a thing. There's <laughs> there's some other not as long ones, but yeah. Yeah, with Dr. Zhivago and Now the Music, that was over six hours of combined movie for me this week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mission 7. All right. We would like to thank Trav for our sister podcast, Leveling Up with Benjamin Banks, for producing our show. We would like to thank Chad Ramsey for our most excellent theme song. You can follow the show on Twitter at Pod and on Facebook at the Oscarwisty Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts, Stitchers, preferably five, preferably five stars. It really helps us be seen all mighty sound of the music. It is the sound of the music. For Jonathan, Zach, and probably like Maria, I would like for you all to have a damn fine day.